Welcome back to Northway's D Group Podcast. I'm your host, Rodney Mills, and I'm so glad that you stopped by to visit. This is a show for people who are discovering the life they were meant to live, apprenticing their lives to Jesus. We're experiencing metanoia, a radical reorientation to the way we used to think, realigning our worldview to the values, virtues, and vision of his kingdom. In fact, we've, we've committed ourselves to the disciples' priority, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, developing right character, going about our lives with right-setting activity, motivated by his right loving. We've also discovered the disciples' freedom formula, experiencing his freedom as we live out his truths for ourselves. And at the heart of it all, we're first learning what it means to love like Jesus, So let's continue our discussion around this really important topic. Let's talk about another critical dimension of love. You'll remember from our last session the primary command Jesus gave us, which was, love one another as I have loved you. And so it stands to reason that if Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you, we better pay close attention to the ways Jesus loved. If as his apprentice we have solidified our ambition as the aim of my life is to be like Christ, we need to look closely at his life and teachings to find out how to love like Jesus. Now, certainly, we've already talked about in our last session the the dynamic of perfect Trinitarian agape love, self-giving, unconditional loving, mutual affirmation, promoting the welfare of each other. That's the underlying selfless love that characterizes the Trinity, characterizes Jesus' love toward us and the love we're to have for one another, agape love, a selfless love that is passionately committed to the well-being and success of others. This is at the root of the way we are to love like Jesus. But as we look more closely at the life of Christ, we see something additional at play. There's another dimension of this kind of love that not only transforms the heart, the way we've been thinking and even feeling, but, but it causes us to act in extraordinary ways And that dynamic of love is compassion. Mark's gospel is unique in that he seems in such a hurry to to get to the heart of the story of Christ. In in his first chapter alone, he he gives us a a virtual summary of the life and ministry of Christ. He wastes wastes no time in in getting us into Jesus' life rhythms of preaching and healing and discipling and delivering and praying and and solitude. solitude. I mean, you could get so much of your apprenticeship out of just that first chapter if you walk through it carefully. But what I want to pay close attention to, first of all, is this encounter Jesus has with a leper in these early stages of Jesus' ministry. We're looking at verse 40 of uh, of chapter 1. Then a man with leprosy came to him and on his knees begged him, "If If you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing, he told him, be made clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. 
Now, if we're not careful, we might think the main lesson in a story like this is simply God's power to heal. Certainly, we we have to know that God is able to do such incredible things. No doubt, Jesus' many miracles were evidence that he was truly the Son of God. But I think the deeper story is not just the power of God to heal, but it's his motivation to do so. That as we apprentice our lives to his, I want us to quickly notice four things that happened through the eyes and heart and hands of Jesus. First of all, we see that he clearly saw the need. Now, in this particular story, it's pretty obvious why he would have seen the need. The leper came to him on his knees, begging, no less. He would have been pretty hard to miss. But, but as we'll be seeing as we move forward, for the apprentice of Jesus, practicing what Jesus did, seeing the need cannot be understated here. We've got to see it. But he didn't just see the need. Secondly, he was moved with compassion. And this is the pivotal moment. The, the need of the leper, the desperation of this man, the, the physical condition of his ravaged flesh, the, the humility he expressed falling to his knees, it stirred up within the heart of Jesus an already present agape love into something even more, something more intense. This was the impetus, the, the motivation. And for this man, in this moment, Jesus determined to set things right. Now, we'll come back to talk much more deeply about this word compassion in, in a moment. But for now, I want you to see the progression here as it lays out a pattern elsewhere. Thirdly, we see that he reached out his hand. You see, Jesus made the move. This inner experience of an intense love, this, this compassion could not be contained. He had to act. And so he made his move toward the one in need. He didn't hesitate. He didn't care what other Jews were thinking of him, interacting with someone as unclean and undeserving as a leper. He just acted. Compassion says, I must do something. But he didn't just make a move toward the leper. Fourthly, he actually touched him. You see, compassion not only causes us to move toward a person's greatest need, it causes us to set aside our own selfish worries about what will happen to us. Others might think, well, what would happen to me if I touch this leper? What will other people think about me? What's it going to cost? Do I have time for this? But true compassion moves us to get involved, to not just feel sorry for or to, or to take pity for that person, but to actually get involved in the right setting of another person's life. So here we see a simple pattern. These four things, seeing the need, being moved with compassion, which leads to not only moving toward the need, but actively engaging in the solution, regardless of the cost or sacrifice involved. And at the heart of it is, of course, compassion. So let's think even a little more deeply about this word, about this concept. Now this word compassion here in the original Greek has to do with a feeling you get in your gut. It could even refer to the contracting of muscles in your abdomen. In other words, the writers used it to express something more than just a feeling of the heart. It goes deeper than that. It, it triggers an internal, almost physical reaction. That's actually the original language used here in Mark chapter 1. It says Jesus was moved with compassion. And as we'll see in just a moment, every place we see that Jesus felt compassion, there was a movement of compassion that surged out of him to meet the needs of people. So just for a few moments, let's take a look 
at just a few of the places, we see the compassion of Christ in action. Let's trace through the Gospels just for a moment. We see in Matthew 14 that when he went ashore, he saw a large crowd, had compassion on them, and healed their sick. Now, this is similar to our first story in Mark chapter 1. Jesus saw the need, was moved with compassion, and he took action. Notice that these actions are related to meeting the physical needs of those who were hurting and wounded, and Jesus supernaturally heals them. But compassion moves him to even greater acts. Listen to this story from Luke chapter 7. Just as he neared the gate of the town, a dead man was carried out. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow. A large crowd from the city was also with her, and when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said, Don't weep. Then he came up, and he touched the open coffin, and the pallbearers stopped. And he said, Young man, I tell you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. <laughs> That's incredible, right? But again, you got to look at the progression. Verse 13 says, When the Lord saw her, he had compassion. He came up, and he touched the open coffin. So seeing the need, move with compassion, moving toward the need, and then taking direct action. Now, I know what you might be thinking. I mean, this is Jesus, the Son of God. He is the miracle man. Raising people from the dead is pretty intense. And so is this what I should expect in my own life? Well, for one thing, I wouldn't rule it out. Jesus said we'd do even greater things in his name. But the real point we're trying to see is that godly compassion should always produce action. Godly compassion should always produce action. Here's one more quick example before we move on. Here's Matthew chapter 15. Jesus called his disciples and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they've already stayed with me three days and have nothing to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry. Otherwise, they might collapse on the way. This is the story of Jesus feeding the 4,000, we're pretty familiar with the miracle that happens next, but look at the result in verse 37. It says they were all, that they all ate and were satisfied. He saw the need. He was moved with compassion. He took action to set things right. And these are but a few cases where we see Jesus being moved with compassion. And by this observation, we see that compassion should be common for the disciple of Christ. Compassion should be common for the disciple of Christ. Now, many times we we think of compassion primarily as it might relate to the physical needs of others. Rightly so, as we've seen here already. Jesus met the needs of the sick and the hurting, the hungry and the thirsty. And I believe with my whole heart that Christ cares about the whole person. Followers of Christ should absolutely be engaged with the least of these, the prisoner, the widow, the orphans, and the list goes on. But of course, if God cares about the whole person, that means his compassion certainly extends to the spirit of man, the heart condition of man, the brokenhearted, the confused, the lonely, those wandering through life, disoriented to the life they were meant to live. Listen to this in in Matthew Chapter 9, Jesus continued going around to all the villages and towns, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. 
Oh, now we're, we're seeing the bigger picture of Jesus' mission in the world to set things right. Here we see the pattern of compassion again. Jesus saw the crowds. But what did he see in them this time? He's not focused on physical needs so much. He sees that they were distressed and dejected. Here are just a few other translations of what Jesus saw from different translations of the scripture. Dispirited and distressed. Confused and worried. The English Standard Version says harassed and helpless. Other translations say aimless or hurting, deeply distraught and heartbroken. And we often use the term disoriented to describe it. And I I tell you, if you were to look at that list, it sure sounds like many of the people we encounter in our everyday walking around lives, doesn't it? We don't have to just visit the homeless camps under the interstate. We don't have to go out of our way to visit the hospital or nursing home to see the kind of brokenness that Jesus saw as he looked at the crowds. They're everywhere. The harvest is abundant, as he said. And what what was Jesus' response this time? He said, we don't have enough people on mission yet. Something has to be done. It's going to take a lot more help. Pray that God will give us people ready to work, ready to engage in this great mission. We need people who see what I'm seeing here and will be moved with compassion to give their lives away to accomplish this great work. Now get this. This is one part of our big idea for this session. Compassion is triggered by seeing what Jesus sees the way Jesus sees it. I mean, sure, there's a reason those commercials for child sponsorships show us such graphic images. When we're subjected to seeing such things, our hearts naturally break. We feel that life shouldn't be that way for anyone. If something can be done, then it should be done. And so some of us pick up the phone or we go online to do our part. In fact, many folks at Northway have done that for our own dear friends at Acres of Hope in Uganda. It's what you see. Our videos and testimonies that we bring home with us from Africa stir up your hearts to compassion, and then you act. But you got to listen here. There, there are people that we're dealing with every day that are dispirited and distressed, confused or worried, harassed and helpless, confused and aimless, hurting, deeply distraught and heartbroken. And we are the harvest hands that Jesus and his disciples prayed for, you and I. Now, these people may may be the ones we interact with every day. Co-workers, family members, fellow parents at t-ball and dance, classmates and team members. They're not in some far-off country experiencing famine or unjust wars. They are among us everywhere and are simply disoriented to the life they were meant to live. Perhaps they're that cranky co-worker that no one can get along with. Maybe they're the, the kid that, that dresses weird and listens to strange music. Maybe they're that person that's just sour towards life and, and you'd just rather not be around them. And how often do we see their actions as a nuisance or an inconvenience or an annoyance? How often do we let them frustrate us or even anger us? You see, the problem most of us have is that we don't see them the way Jesus sees them. Because our hearts should break for the things that break the heart of God. Let me say that again. Our hearts should break for the things that break the heart of God. This is why having a deeper understanding of repentance is so important. Metanoia. Think about how you've been thinking. Experience a a fundamental transformation of how you look at life, how you look at other people, how you even look at God. 
Apprenticing your life to Christ is about transforming your vision to see life in the kingdom the way Jesus sees it. Not just as a utopian place for you to enjoy in eternity, but to see those living around you the way he does and to always be on mission with him to do something about it driven by a deep compassion. As you see, compassion is God's loving heart being moved into action. Let me say that again. Compassion is God's loving heart being moved into action. It's central to the gospel of the kingdom. Now, of course, we all should be very familiar with the two primary rules of the kingdom. They are revealed to us several times throughout the gospel accounts. I find one particular account to be so compelling. It's found in Luke chapter 10. This is starting in verse 25. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. So there's no question about it. Love is the central theme for the disciple of Christ, loving God and loving people. And I think we'd all agree on that, at least in theory. But what does it look like? What is expected of us? Look at verse 29. He's asking the same thing. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, I know we're very familiar with it, most of us at least, but let's listen in on Jesus' response. This is verse 30. Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed by him. Now notice, the first phase phase of potential compassion, he saw the man there. He saw the need, but he didn't even make a move toward him. Next, a temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but also passed by on the other side. Now, he got a little closer. He saw the great need and even walked over a little closer to to check it out, but he still passed by. And then a despised Samaritan came along. Don't you love the way Jesus brings that up? A despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Now, do you see it? He saw him. He felt compassion. He went over to him. He engaged in the action of setting things right. And then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man, and if his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. What an incredible parable. You've heard it told and preached about so many times. We could say so much about it if we had time. Things like this. uh, Don't let your busy, judgmental religion get in the way of your first responsibility and calling to love. Or we could say, your neighbor may not look like you. 
They may not even believe like you. They might be of a completely different ethnicity and religion. The bottom line might would be this, that when it comes to compassionate love, you don't get to pre-qualify your neighbor. <laughs> well, but, but here's the bigger point from this familiar story for, from today's perspective that we're talking about. Here it is. Compassion is recognizing the wounded and or disoriented and immediately responding with the appropriate resources. This Samaritan, he should have never stopped for a Jew, but he didn't hesitate. He saw the real problem, was moved with compassion. He reached in his bag and he pulled out just what was needed for the wounded man's need. He didn't think about the cost. He didn't think about how much time it would take. He didn't even worry about what other Samaritans might think of him for helping a Jew. You see, we take on the role of Good Samaritan every morning when we wake up and we embark on our responsibilities for the day. We're on the lookout for the wounded and the hurting, the distressed and disoriented. You see, if you'll just slow down to see them the way Jesus sees them, you'll find them everywhere. And here's a clue. If someone's behavior frustrates you, disrupts your emotions, makes you feel uncomfortable, causes you to want to get out of their way, Chances are pretty strong that the reasons behind their behavior is either woundedness or disorientation. Now, in the moment, you might not be able to bring complete healing, but what do you have available? I mean, sure, you could jump right back in their face and argue. You could try to get the upper hand with insults and intimidation. Worse yet, you could simply avoid them altogether, passing by on the other side of the road. Or, as an apprentice to Jesus... You could reach in your bag to see what Christ has to offer. If you've truly been abiding in his love, he has been reshaping your heart to be more like his. He's been refocusing your vision to recognize what's really going on. He's been filling you with his spirit, and as such, you have at your disposal all the oil and wine you need for this moment. Paul actually calls it the fruit of the spirit. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I would submit to you that the primary purpose of the fruit of the Spirit is not just for your benefit. They're formed within us for the sake of others. I mean, think about it. What's the point of the apple tree? To produce apples? Is it to produce apples? Perhaps. But think about this. Is the apple for the sake of the tree? I mean, who's the apple for? It's for someone else to experience, right? The fruit is a product from the tree, but the fruit is for someone else to enjoy. And then to take it one step further, what's the potential purpose of the apple? Yes, it's to be enjoyed by someone else, but what is at the core of the apple? Think about it. Think about it for a second. What's at the core of the apple? Well, that's right. It's the seed. So, Think about all this. When you recognize what's really going on in the lives of the wounded and disoriented people of your world, God's compassion should kick in and you reach in your bag for perhaps a little patience, not for your sake, not so you're more at peace, but for the sake of the one who is hurting or disoriented. For that kid sitting alone all at the cafeteria table, compassion might, might compel you to pull out a little kindness and goodness and go sit with them no matter what anyone else thinks. For that angry coworker, you see past their red face and foul language, and, and instead of getting into a shouting match, you pull out gentleness and self-control. And maybe, just maybe, your willingness to offer even just a bit of compassionate love in these moments will be the seeds of Christ's love being planted in their lives. 
You see, I believe that compassion is the great convergence of the greatest commandments, which is to love God and love people, and the great commission to go and make disciples. Because when we see the people in our world the way Christ does, our hearts swell with compassion, and we'll make our move toward them, and we'll take action. Like Jesus, looking at the crowd, seeing them as dejected and distressed, aimless and heartbroken, compassion is the motivation not just for meeting physical needs, but also for evangelism and discipleship. Now let's see how all this fits together. Because you may remember from our discussion in the last session about perfect Trinitarian agape love. If you download this week's transcript, you'll, you'll see the love diagram displayed there. And so you might even want to have that in front of you as I remind you of it. At the top, we see the, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in an eternal dance of self-giving, unconditional loving, mutual affirmation, promoting the welfare of each other. Perfect agape love. In the center of the diagram, we see that Jesus invites us to join the experience of this community of love, encouraging us to abide in his love as he abides in the Father's love. And the final point in our last session was that God's love is made complete or perfect within us as we love one another as his disciples. So we have this vertical double eight figure of God's perfect love, agape love, selfless, sacrificial love that desires to see the best for others. But we've also been invited to partner with Christ, to be his harvest hand, so to speak, to be on mission with him, seeing the world the way he does. And so today, we see to the right-hand side of the diagram this, this dimension of compassion, God's love in action, seeing the wounded and the disoriented the way he does, moving toward the need and into action to meet the need. And ultimately, compassion It's the motivation to invite others into God's great love, to become a citizen of the kingdom, the great convergence of the greatest commandment and the great commission. Man, what a powerful display of learning to love like Jesus. Now, keep in mind that the center of it all is to abide in the love of Christ. And we'll be talking even more about what that means in the weeks ahead. But for now, just realize that it is this abiding, this ongoing intentional connection to his heart that is critical to the outflow of his love to others. It's not just something we manufacture on our own, but through divine intimacy, our hearts and lives are reshaped from the inside out. And that's where spiritual disciplines and the grace of the Holy Spirit comes into play. But then again, remember that only when we give his radical agape love away is his love made complete. Well, we'll get to all those lessons in the next few weeks, but I just want you to know, I'm praying for you this week, friends. Greet each new day with eyes of compassion. See the needs around you. Don't ignore them, but allow his love to move you with compassion, to reach out and touch those that need his love the most. Don't pass by on the other side. Get involved, get engaged, and let us truly love like Jesus.